And so we spend the next 10 minutes arguing over which which direction the map says to go. And we are now running through Venice. Like, we'd get to, a, like, stairs or something, and he'd take, like, five at a time. And I'm, like, carrying this backpack, which, of course, everybody knows how uncomfortable it is to run with a backpack in the first place, let alone when you're sprinting. And the map is telling us, basically, like, you're going to arrive two minutes after the train is supposed to depart. You're listening to Take Off to Travel, a weekly dive into the travels of your hosts, Colin and Olivia. We're going on a world trip for 13 months with just $25,000 each. Each week, you'll hear our tales, tips, and tricks as we explore the world. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Take Off to Travel. I'm your host, Olivia. And I'm Colin. And today, we have to talk about our first few days in Spain. I think we should start even before we got to Madrid, because we had kind of an interesting experience with the airline that we took to get from Florence to Madrid. It was an airline called, what was it, Vueling, which I'd never heard of before, but turns out it's very similar to a lot of other budget airlines like Spirit, Ryanair, Wizz Air, there's all kinds. And when we went to check in for our flight before we left for Florence, it wanted us to pay to select our seats which we were really not interested in because we had already paid for the tickets. And honestly, we did not care if we sat together for a two-hour flight. So we decided that we were going to be a little bit risky and we were going to wait until we got to the airport on the morning of our flight to actually check in because we really didn't want to pay like an extra $35, $40 just to sit together. So once we got to the airport, we waited in the line and we actually ended up getting seated in the second row of the plane for free. So pro tip, if you ever are flying a budget airline and it looks like you actually have to pay to book your seat, you may not actually if it's not something that you booked when you originally bought your ticket. So go ahead and look in the fine print and see if the airline offers like in airport check-in. Yeah, I think that saved us a lot of money. We didn't have to spend it was what was it? the cheapest option was like $34 each, which would have made that trip from Italy to Spain way past our budget because it was already like right on the line. So we got we got pretty lucky, I would say. Uh, I know we already kind of flashed back, but I feel like we need to flash back even further because we didn't get to tell everyone what happened in Venice. Oh, yeah. Oh, Venice. Venice. Venice was beautiful. You know, it's everything that you hear about Venice. But we had an adventure. So there's two, there's two hours until our train leaves Venice. And we're sitting at the train station trying to figure out what to do because we don't, we don't want to sit at the train station for two hours. And Olivia really wanted to ride the water taxi through the canals. And I was super hesitant because it would be cutting it close. Because it's 45 minutes one way, 45 minutes back. And that's if everything goes right. And, you know, she finally talked me into it. We And we go. And the first where we're joined, we're listening to Rick Steves, as we always do. And, you know, we're on the boat. And I'm just watching the time. And time is just flying by. It it doesn't take forty five minutes. It probably took us more than an hour to to get to like the other side, the far side of Venice from the train station. And we look at each other and we're like, we can't ride this boat back because we will miss the train. So we set we set up walking directions, and it's 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 a thirty five minute walk. So 
even that's still cutting it pretty close. We walk probably 10 minutes of it, and it takes us to a river crossing with a boat. Like, so they, they have, it's not a gondola, but it's a, it's a boat that the locals pay like a euro to cross. Yeah, it's like almost a ferry across yeah. the river, but it's just to get to, almost instead of a bridge, basically. But it's, of course, it's cash only, and we we don't have two euros of coins left because we, we've spent money that day. We don't have any coins. So we go into panic mode. How the heck are we going to cross this river? And so we spend the next ten minutes arguing over which which direction the map says to go, and we are... Now running through Venice, I was pretty proud of Olivia keeping up with me through the city. I probably was tough. I'm a bigger guy. I'm not fast, but I I was going at a faster pace than Olivia. I think I have to throw some commentary in here, some color to this picture. I got to back up before this whole thing. I wanted to go on the water taxi when we had closer to two and a half hours left. And Colin was hesitant because he was nervous about the time. However, in retrospect, if we'd left when I wanted to leave, I think it would have been perfect. Like, I think we would have gotten right back to the train station with, like, 15 minutes to spare. But because we, like, sat and talked about it, the, the, the window became smaller. And so he's right. By the time we got to the other end of the water taxi, it was like, okay, we just, like, should not ride this back. And for anyone who's never been to Venice... Like, you imagine there's lots of, like, canals and bridges and stuff, but the reality is there's three bridges to cross the main canal, and two of them are very close together and very close to the train station, and the third one is, like, way down at the other end, and by the time that we found the spot where we were supposed to cross in the water, like, ferry boat, we were about midway between them. So it was either we got to go all the way down to where the train station is, which is a pretty far way, or we would have to backtrack and that would add even more distance. And so he's right. We were both very stressed. It was neither of our best moments, I would say. But when he says he was going fast to get to the train station, I was literally running. Like, I think he's under-exaggerating or whatever the word would be. Because I was literally sprinting to keep up with him. Like, we'd get to a like stairs or something and he'd take like five five at a time and i'm like carrying this backpack which of course everybody knows how uncomfortable it is to run with a backpack in the first place let alone when you're sprinting and the map is telling us basically like you're gonna arrive two minutes after the train is supposed to depart and we're like we literally have no other option so we're like yelling at each other we gotta get in a water taxi i don't care how much it costs like we have to make it and then the other one would be like yeah but i don't know how to get in a water taxi so we just like keep sprinting we're sweating we're literally drenched in sweat on this run to the train station and by the time we're like getting close we're like frantically checking the phone because of course it's about to die and we're we're just checking it and the time that we're going to get there moves like earlier and then slightly earlier and then slightly earlier. And so we did eventually make this train. What was it like five minutes to spare, which tells you the pace that we were sprinting at. It was all in all a memorable adventure. So once we got to Madrid, we had to ride public transit from the airport to the main part of the city, which is kind of a long distance. And I just wanted to throw this pro tip out there. If you're ever coming to Madrid and you need to do that, I would recommend taking the Cercanias train as opposed to the metro because 
on the metro, you have to pay like an extra three or four euro surcharge on top of the normal metro fare. And the train is like half that and it doesn't actually have any sort of airport surcharge. So definitely look into the Circanias versus, versus the metro. It's definitely slower, but you save money doing it. Okay, so we've been in Madrid for, gosh, it's th three weeks at this point, which is crazy to say because it's been so long since we've recorded. And we are actually working on getting better. I know each time we record, we're like, oh, we're so sorry it takes so long. But we, we've, we're starting to set up true plans on, on becoming more consistent, kind of off topic. But to get back on topic, we've spent three weeks in Madrid how do you think it compares to what you remember from your time studying abroad in Madrid? A lot of it is very similar in that the overall feeling of the city is very lively and very fun. A lot of these specific like restaurants and stuff have changed, partially because so much time has gone by and partially because of COVID, I'm sure. But it's different for me to be here when I'm not in school because we're spending so much time exploring areas that I never went to, even though I lived here for six months. And it's been really fun to see those new neighborhoods. We'll talk about it in future episodes. Like, we walked through a really rich neighborhood called Salamanca. We've been to the gay neighborhood called Chueca. Like, we've been to all these places that I maybe went to once or not at all the last time I was here. And it's been really cool to kind of revisit them, A, with an older eye, and B, for the first time for a lot of them. What was your very first impression of Madrid? Like, when we first got here... We walk out of the escalator in the middle of Plaza Sol, like the main square. What was your first impression? So I think I was a little unfortunate because Sol is under construction right now. So I don't think I've gotten the the grandiose, grandioseness of what Sol would be normally. People who talk about Sol comparing it to the United States compare it to like the Times Square of Madrid, not necessarily commercially, but just the amount of people that go through it per day. So it was really cool seeing all the people, all the tour guides, all the, you know, different groups walking through the plaza. But beyond Seoul, what was your first impression of the city? Uh, I, I really enjoy the, it's, it sounds weird, but like the vibe of like, I, I enjoy the vibe. There is always something to do, always people out. There's people out till 4, 5 a.m., 6 a.m. And it's just, especially being in the center of the city, there are, what, eight restaurants on our little street, one more street over. There's more restaurants. We are, we live on top, basically on top of a, well, there's a Mexican restaurant across the street from us. There's Indian, there's... Venezuelan, there's Chinese, there's just internationally, it's an international city while also being very lively. How do you think it compares to being in Florence? Oh, it's so different from Florence. I would say like the city shut down at like 10 p.m. in Florence. It's very much museum and just like, it's a very historic city and we we enjoyed that about Florence. While Madrid does have its history I would say, like, that's not the focus of the city. Like, I see Florence as a city that prioritizes the history and, like, puts it up on a pedestal, while Madrid, while having that history, has tried to, you know, grow and be a large city. Like, modernized? Yeah, like, modernized. I would agree with that. That being said, to me, the thing that I love about Madrid is that it combines that modern 
feel and there's all the like clubs and restaurants and like lively energy but then the buildings you'll look up and it's like they've definitely been here for hundreds and hundreds of years because of the style the architecture and the exterior is very beautiful and like classic architecture and so it's like a perfect blend of my two favorite things which is like a lively fun city and also beautiful architecture so as always we got to do a little food synopsis mom and dad i know you're rolling your eyes so i think we kind of got to go back and forth because some of these i had tried before and some of these were new to me but for anyone who's ever heard spanish people talk about tortilla you might think that they're talking about like the flat flour or corn round shape item that Mexicans use for like tacos or enchiladas or whatever. But that is not the case for Spanish tortilla. It's actually more of a huge potato pancake that's like several inches tall and also round, but filled with like other stuff. Like sometimes you'll have onions, sometimes you'll have ham, sometimes you'll have sausage, pepper, like it could be any number of things. So that was something that I loved the last time I was in Madrid. So what did you think of your first experience of tortilla? I have enjoyed some of the tortillas we've eaten. I have not enjoyed other tortillas. It's depending on the restaurant you go to, it's either super gooey and like, yeah, gooey, I think it's the word. Wet. Wet um, in the middle, or it's more firm and, and a little bit more cooked. I enjoy the the more cooked tortillas. So yeah, I but I've enjoyed it. Another thing that is like really special to Spain in general is like the the jamón, the the iberico, the leg that they just kind of slice off. And I've, I've we've eaten some of that, and it's it's been good. Did it live up to your expectations? Because if I remember correctly, at the end of our last Florence episode, you said that the ham was something that you were most excited for out of Madrid. Has yeah. it lived up to your expectations? I think so. It's very, I mean, it's it's very melt in your mouth, and you don't have to chew a lot, which is great, and. It's just very, very nice tasting meat, which I enjoy. We've also had sangria and Tito de Verano. Do you want to describe the difference between those? Sure. I mean, I've actually never made either one, but based on, like, flavor, sangria is wine with spices and fruits added. Typically, like, cinnamon and uh, oranges and sometimes lemons. just kind of depends. Tito de Verano is similar Except for instead of cinnamon, they usually add like a sparkling lemonade. And so it ends up being much more like a light, fruity cocktail than like a true red wine blend. And I personally love Tinto de Verano. It's, I feel like it works for every scenario. Like it's a good light lunch drink, but it's also like goes well with like a full meal. It's just, it's versatile. What did you think of those two? Um, I, I didn't know that sangria had cinnamon in it, but I really enjoy it. But I've also enjoyed the Tito de Verano. So I don't, I don't think that there's a specific one I enjoy more than the other. But I know you've been ordering a lot of Tito de Veranos, especially like even after dinner, like we're out just getting some drinks. It's, it works for that as well. We also went to San Ginez and got some churros with chocolate. And Olivia has a big smile on her face. I know she loves it. What threw me off is, and she's going to roll her eyes because we've had this conversation before. It's not a churro how you think churro. It's like it doesn't have the cinnamon sugar on it. It's just the fried pastry. And then you dip it into chocolate. 
And the chocolate's not what you think of as chocolate either. It's like it's a very thick molten chocolate. It's true melted chocolate. Like there's nothing else. It's just melted chocolate. And she's rolling her eyes right now. I know she is. But I wish the cinnamon sugar was there. I personally don't understand how you could need more sweet than literal melted chocolate. But if you're looking for cinnamon sugar, you could always uh, ask for it and see what kind of weird looks you get. Yeah. But so you get, what, six churros? Six long churros. And then a little cup, like a little coffee cup of the of the chocolate. And apparently you're supposed to just drink the chocolate after you after you're finished dipping it. And it is so thick and so hot that it burns your mouth, even even if you've let it cool. Because it's so thick that just the top cools off. And yeah, so we didn't end up drinking all of our chocolate, but a lot of people do. Yeah. We also have been to a place that's a chain restaurant in, I think, probably Spain, but at least in Madrid. Where it's called Cien Montaditos, which means a hundred little sandwiches, and it's literally a place that has a hundred different sandwiches on the menu, all for a euro. All for a euro on Wednesdays and Sundays, and most days it's like a euro fifty or something. And the sandwiches are very average, but for a euro, like who's gonna say no to that? Yeah, we we usually can get full off of like ten to fifteen euros worth of food, and that's not all sandwiches. <laughs> Uh, so we'll get like some sandwiches and last time we got some fried potatoes with cheese on it and, and some other stuff. But yeah, it's just been a very good opportunity for us to eat cheaply and it's not horrible for you. It's definitely faster food in terms of Madrid. Another traditional Spanish food that we've had, I think twice, is something called patatas bravas, which... The first time we had it, it was like an artisan fancy restaurant version, which is like little fried cubes of potatoes with like a mayo spicy sauce on top. And the second time we had it, it was more of like a just spicy sauce. What did you think of that? It's a very classic Spanish dish. It's okay. I mean, it's very much like tapas. Uh, It's just something that they give you that's cheap to make and they can make it in batches. So I wasn't expecting a lot, but it, you know, it's, it's good, I guess, for a free snack with, with beer. And then I think we have to also have a brief mention of your favorite dish that we've had in the whole time we've been here, ensaladilla rusa, which roughly translates to Russian salad, but it's more like a Russian potato salad than anything else. And the one that we had that Colin just adored and wouldn't stop eating had tuna in it. Anybody listening at home, he just adores tuna. <laughs> I I like raw tuna. I don't like the little mushy covered in mayonnaise or whatever it is, just cooked tuna. I don't enjoy that. I, I think it's gross. I thought it was good, but it was not his cup of tea. It was not good. Um, and the last thing that I think we both, I mean, you've had before in a different version, but we ate cochinillo, and that is little baby pig. <laughs> and uh, the one Olivia had previously, it was the full pig, wasn't it? Yeah, so they just put, they, you know, they roast a little baby pig, which is, you know, very sad. But it's so tender that you can, like, cut it with a plate. 
And yeah, so when we had it, it was just a little bit of the, I would assume, just the meat and the, I don't know what part of it it was, but probably like the ribs or the back. And it was very tender, like, like advertised and it was, it tasted really good. What what would you say about it? I don't know how else to describe it. It's something I felt weird about eating, but I felt like it was part of the cultural experience here. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely was memorable. I mean, we should talk about how our places, uh, specifically the unique laundry experience that was the first time either of us had really experienced. Basically, so every other place that we've stayed has not had a dryer, which is normal. But we typically have stayed places that primarily use a drying rack, like inside, like you hang it on little wires. But this particular place is different in that they hang their clothes to dry outside the window. And we're on a the third floor. And there's like this pulley system, which when we first got here, we were a little confused on how to even use it. But... It's actually kind of convenient. Like, it dries clothes pretty fast. And once we figured out how to do it, it was very useful. What do you think of our apartment's location? Uh, The location's really nice. Like I said before, there's a lot of restaurants around us. It is a five-minute walk to the metro if we need that. But it really just feels like it's 15-minute walk max from everything in in our area. And, like, down the center of downtown Madrid... Other places, you know, will be a little further, but it's maybe a 15-minute walk to the Royal Palace and maybe a 15-minute walk to Retiro, which is the park. That's something I really appreciate because last month in Florence, our apartment wasn't super far from the historic part of town by any stretch, but it was like a 30-minute walk to go pretty much anywhere. And so now it's very refreshing that usually we're not walking more than like 10 or 15 minutes at most. Yeah, that has been nice. We did get a lot of a good workout in Italy, but I have enjoyed not having to walk as much here. So another unique Spain thing related to food is the menu del día, which is usually like a fixed price menu. I think we had something kind of similar to this in Italy where you get to choose off of a few options for different courses. But it's I would say it's much more common here than it was in Italy. So in general, you'll get to choose out of an appetizer selection, a first course selection, a second course selection, and often like a dessert and a drink. And it's usually a pretty good value. The first few times we had it, I want to say that it was like 13 to 15 euros for all of that per person, which I think is a pretty good deal because you could not get a five course meal like that at home for that price. Yeah, definitely. Which menu del dia has stood out the most to you? The one that is most memorable right now, because it's the most recent, we had one today at a a dumpling restaurant. So we each got four dumplings and a primary, like a, she, you got stir fry noodles and vegetables, and I got a pad thai. And then we also got drinks with that, and that was nine ninety euros each. Another one that I remember is the one... We actually got to share it, so we didn't have to pay each. We we were able to just split the food, and it so it ended up only costing us like twelve euros total. But that was the kind of mashed potatoes, which I didn't enjoy that much. But the chicken that we had there, it was uh, half of a chicken, 
So we got one leg and one breast. And it was, the chicken was really good there. What do, what do you think? I thought it was good. How do you feel like the prices of food in Spain overall compare to Florence? I think it's a little bit more expensive than Florence. But also I think we're getting a little bit more food than we did in Florence. So I think it balances pretty well. I think also in Florence we did a lot of sandwiches mm -hmm. for lunches that were very cheap because it's literally just a sandwich. Whereas yeah. that's just like less part of a cuisine here. So there's less options. But I, I agree with you. I think that the amount of food that you get per price is a better deal than what we got in Italy. But sometimes the the price number is higher than it was. Yeah. So then I think the last thing we'll talk about today, a question that we have been asked is basically how we go about planning future months. And since we just recently booked our July accommodations and airfare etc. I, I figured that today might be a good day to just kind of give like a quick rundown of how we go about doing that. So usually we start by looking at Airbnb prices in different parts of the country. And some countries we've already kind of loosely decided on where we want to go. Albania was one that I would say we, we knew less about until we were much more open to it. Basically, we wanted to be somewhere that was close to a beach. So we basically went on Airbnb, put in our parameters, which are always the same, Wi-Fi, kitchen, and a washer. And then we looked at what was out there in terms of prices, in terms of location, in terms of city size, proximity to Tirana, which is the only city that has an airport in Albania. And we ended up, there were like two cities. It was one called Vlora and one called Durez, which I'm probably butchering both of those names. And we just kind of narrowed our search from there based on the options that were in our budget. So for us, I forget exactly what it was. I want to say we said 650 or 700 was our budget for Albania. And so we just kind of looked at those options in our budget and picked the best of that selection. What would you add? <laughs> I think you covered it pretty well. Um, I, I guess I can focus more on air travel. We definitely don't fly at good times. We also, depending on what country, if we're going from Schengen to Schengen or non-Schengen to non-Schengen or outside of Europe to outside of Europe, you can kind of plus minus your days a little bit. So we're not always looking at a specific date to fly out. If one if one day is significantly cheaper to fly out, we'll kind of bite that money that we spent on the Airbnb the previous month. If it makes sense, like if it saves us money in the future, so we're we're not we're not looking at set days and we're not looking at set times. It's really whatever the cheapest option is. Yeah, although I will say sometimes we kind of take into account the length of the flight and number of layovers, etc. Because sometimes a flight might be cheaper in terms of base airfare. But it involves us being in a ton of different cities for a really, like, not long enough to go out and explore the city, but, like, too much time to just kind of, like, be a quick layover. And at that point, you're going to start spending more money on food in airports than you're saving on the airfare. And oftentimes, on the really budget airlines, you have to pay for the extra bag. Like, you basically only get a carry, not a carry-on, you only get a personal item, and having a cabin bag adds extra cost. And so kind of weighing, like, how many stops does this have? Does it include a bag? What's the weight 
allowance for that bag and just kind of balancing all of those with the availability and cost on different days. So I would say those are the main factors that we consider. Can you think of anything else that we thought about when we were planning for Albania? Specifically for Albania, Albania is the second month of three months that we will not be in the European Schengen zone. So specifically for Albania, we have a wedding that we're going to in Greece while we're in Albania. So for those of you who don't know, Greece is in the Schengen zone. Albania is outside the Schengen zone. So we have had to figure out months before we're recording this, how we're going to figure that out. Because as a refresher, if you do not remember, as Americans, we get 90 days in the Schengen zone in a 180-day period. So 90 days in, 90 days out. We had to plan for those two to three days that we were going to be at the wedding. 90 days in advance. (laughs) Yeah, 180 days in advance, basically. So we have we had to make sure that we can get to the city that the the ferry is leaving from we're taking a ferry from albania to greece so we had to make sure we were close enough to that city where it made sense like money wise and like things like that so that we had to take into account a little bit more in albania than we have in the past but i think we're at least for albania we're, we're happy with what we landed on definitely I also think that for the countries that we know less about, we've had to look a little bit more into the actual cities in terms of figuring out, is there enough stuff to do there that'll keep us occupied for a month? Because sometimes we'll find places that look really beautiful, but the city itself is so small that I think we would run out of stuff to do in like less than a week. And at that point, it to me, it's like, I want to live like a local, but I also don't want to not do anything because that kind of defeats the the purpose of being in this whole trip in the first place so especially with albania we just had to really research the actual city options in terms of size and whatnot yeah i think you made a good point there and i know we're, we're running over a little bit here at this point but i do want to talk about because we talked about it on instagram with another travel couple uh the other day just the amount of downtime we have, because I think it's assumed, like, I know we've, we've talked about it, but it's assumed that we, you know, we're doing something all day, every day. And because we're not working, we're not doing something all day, every day, even though we're living like locals. So we have a good amount of the day that is purely downtime. And it's finding things to do during that downtime that don't cost us money that, that, you know, that's still fun and uh, something we've, we've, you know, not been struggling with, but have had been challenged to figure out. Do you have any insight on that? I think it's just a matter of, like, we have our set daily budget for every place that we go. And in some places, it goes further than others. Like Spain, for example, if we both go out to eat for lunch, that takes most of the budget for the day. And so... But the challenge, like you talked about, is finding something that we can do that lets us explore the city and see stuff on a low budget. And so we've ended up doing quite a lot of just like taking walks because that's a good way to not only get out of the apartment and see stuff, but it really gives you a sense of what's out there. For example, we went and walked to a neighborhood called Salamanca earlier this week, which is a very expensive neighborhood. 
But we got to kind of like window shop and we went in a few different places and we looked at the people and like what they were wearing and just kind of got to like absorb stuff that way. And so I think we just wanted to kind of bust the myth that if you're a full-time traveler that you're actually doing fun, glamorous, exciting things all the time because that's just not the case. I think when we're working on getting, like I said, we're getting, we're working on getting more consistent with the podcast. So that's going to take more time working on, you know, not to toot our own horn, but the podcast is doing way better than we expected, which we appreciate. Shout out to you guys for listening. We're, we're very appreciative, but it's doing so much better than we expected. And so I think we're going to start to pour a little bit more time into that. So that's going to fill some of the downtime and really just social media in general, where we are enjoying making content on social media. It's just coming up with ideas at, at some points is is very difficult. So yeah, so th- we are finding ways to fill our time. It's it's not, you know, glamorous, as she said. We're not doing something every second of the day. So yeah, we just wanted to bust that myth also. Definitely. If you have any other questions or things that you want to know about what the realities of full-time travel are, because we're now officially at five and a half months of the way through this trip. So I feel like we're slowly starting to get a handle on what this is going to be like, because we still have another nine months to go. Yeah, nine countries still. Nine countries to go. So we just wanted to open that up in case anybody has any questions or is really wanting to do something similar or wants to know, just be nosy. We don't mind. Yeah. Um, the Reach out to the email. It's takeofftotravelpodcast at gmail.com. Or just reach out to us on social media. We love talking to people and um, interacting with y'all. Thanks so much for listening. Catch us next time.